is a privilege to be here on a Sunday morning. I look forward to this time every week to uh, share the Word of God. I uh, got dressed this morning and I put on the happiest shirt I could find in my closet. I was so excited. I woke up thinking about Colossians chapter 2. I hope you go to bed tonight thinking about Colossians chapter 2. What a wonderful uh, passage from the Word of God. Looking forward to sharing this together. But before we get started, let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, that part of God that has come from God, sent by the Father, sent by the Son, to dwell in our hearts. And you said, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he would teach us all things. And he would bring the things to our remembrance that you have said. And as we look into the Word this morning, dear Holy Spirit, please teach us. And every one of us, Lord, here today are in a different position. None of us are in exactly the same place. But you know where we are. You know where we've been this past week. You know where we're headed in the week ahead. And you can speak to our hearts. If we are your children, born again by grace through faith in Christ, we pray for an encouraging word from our Heavenly Father this morning. If we are still outside that covenant, if we have yet to become adopted, surrendering our hearts to Christ, we pray that today would be a day where the Lord Jesus would be lifted up in such a way that all men, every one of us, could be drawn closer to Him. We pray this in His name. Amen. Well, let's look back a little bit. I uh, I don't know what you do with your sermon notes. I, I have a little file it's called Sermon Notes. And uh, I was looking back over the last um, several weeks we've been together. Let's think in our minds. Let's go back. Let's go back. Remember when we were in Colossians chapter 1, we were talking about how uh, the apostle was praying. Do you remember what he was praying? He prayed that we would be filled with all, with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But there was a purpose for that prayer. Remember that? He said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I want you to know what you can do so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But remember this. The apostle didn't pray that we would know what God wants to do without also praying what? That we would be strengthened with His might and His power from the inside out. The Christian life is not meant to be lived by uh, our drumming up enough uh, energy on my own to do what God wants. If we could have followed the commandments without the help of Christ, we wouldn't need the cross, right? God set up the commandments as actually, it was kind of a, a setup to set us up to see we can't follow all those commandments. So he sent Christ to live a perfect life for us so that we could have his life, we could receive his life and then live it with his power in us. That was week one. Remember he said that you could be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and all endurance with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Next week, we talked about by him, through him, and for him. We talked about how Christ has the preeminence in creation. Christ was there, making all things. All things were made by Him. All things were made uh, for Him. Remember, He was the wisdom behind the creation. All things were made through Him. He wasn't just the architect. He was the foreman on the job. He built the world and everything in it. And not only that, but everything in this world is held together by what we talked about an atomic energy. The energy of Christ is what holds it all together. And in the end, ultimately, in glory and forever thereafter, everything that was created was for His glory. That was uh, We got into that in our second lesson. And then we talked about how not only is He preeminent over creation, but He is preeminent over the church. 
What is Christ's role as the, uh, as, uh, in the church? He's the head, right? And we talked about how important the head is in our bodies. How important is Christ in the church? Every bit is important as the head in your body. Without the head, there is no body. Without the head, there is no life. And so, Christ is the head over the church. And then last week we talked about how, um, how we, remember this, we talked about we who were alienated, we were hostile in our minds, and we were doing evil deeds. And when we were in that rebellious state with God, what did He do? It says, He reconciled us. Remember that? He reconciled us. Christ reconciled us. God reconciled us. Christ reconciled us in His body by His death in order to do what? Why did Christ do that? To present us. Do you remember that? How He presents us? He presents us holy. He presents us to God as blameless. He presents us to God as above reproach. And we conclude that second lesson by asking, what is Christ's preeminence over me? See, God is in charge of His creation. But when it comes to the human heart, He is not going to force you to follow Him. He will come. He will knock on your heart's door. He will invite you to come and taste and see. But you know what? Jesus is a gentle shepherd. He wants us to hear His voice and be drawn to Him and to follow. Last week, we talked about how Paul... Now, I drew a picture last week. Did you, do you remember the picture? What was Paul's role? He was, he was called to make the Word of God fully known, Right? And the word of God was Christ. And Christ was in me the rope of glory. Remember that? I mean, the hope of glory. He was the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And Paul was presenting the word of God, which is Christ, making Christ fully known so that they could become mature. Remember that? Little hearts becoming big hearts. God doesn't want... God loves baby Christians. We love babies at our house. And we've been loving babies for 30 years at our house. But we don't want them to stay babies. We want them to grow up. We want them to mature. And then, when they mature, what do they do? They reach. They reach. A, a mature Christian reaches to the full assurance of the measure of Christ. That's why he's doing this. Okay? That's why he's doing this. And then we... Uh, remember the little tree walking? What's up with the tree walking? Well, Paul is doing... He's, he's saying all this... He was saying all this so that no one would deceive them with plausible arguments. Yeah, that makes sense. We need to be aware of plausible arguments versus the straightforward gospel of Christ. And he says, I want you to be rooted and grounded, right? Remember the tree? Trees have roots and they're grounded. But God also wants us to be built up. So we do a tree house in a tree, right? Abounding with thanksgiving. This is what it's about, folks. God wants us to... Um, be living this life for Him. And that brings us to our passage this week when we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 2. Would you uh, have your Bibles open hopefully to Colossians chapter 2. Let's begin reading. We're going to finish the chapter here. I'll begin reading at verse 13. Okay, remember this. We're just talking about how uh, we uh, God has done all of this for us. He, we've been circumcised by the body of Christ, uh, been buried with Him in baptism. In verse 12 here it says, and that brings us, and it says in verse 12, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead, and you, verse 13, now He brings it back to you, to me, and you who were dead 
in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He goes on in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of, to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's where we'll conclude our reading. I assume everyone here has a computer, right? There's probably a lot of you who have computers in your pocket, right? I was told that there's more computer in an iPhone than in the rocket that went to the moon the first time we went there. That's quite a bit of computer. But how many of you have had problems with viruses? Are they annoying or what? And, and does anyone know where the word malware came from? The word malware. What is malware? Pardon? Malicious software. Thank you, Skyler. It's malicious software. Malicious? What do you mean by malicious? It means someone was trying to be mean on purpose. And what they do is they come up with a program that goes into your computer through the internet and it goes in there and it messes up your files and it looks into your private folders and your financial... It's, a, it's bad stuff. Malicious software malware. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae because someone has come to the Colossians and they've got a virus. They've got a spiritual teaching virus. There is a simple gospel in Christ, but there were other teachers who were coming along and saying, well, yeah, Christ, but you got to add all these rules to Christ. Yeah, Christ, but there is this deeper, you've got to have these like visions and oh, it's all miraculous and amazing and this other stuff. And there were people who were coming and saying, you know what? I really don't think God would really like come down here and become a man. God's probably still up in heaven. Yeah, we're going to just assume that God kind of mutated and after a while he became, he's too holy to touch the earth. So he mutated until he came up with a form of God. Christ, who wasn't really God, and He's the one we worship God through now. This were some of the teachings that was going on in Colossae that is like a virus. A, 
malicious virus and Paul is writing this letter to say, hey, wait a minute, no. How did the church of Colossae get started? Remember? A man named Epaphras goes 100 miles east to uh, Ephesus. Epaphras from Ephesus. He goes to Ephesus, goes back to his hometown and says, guys, guess what? Here's good news. We can be forgiven for our sins. We can be in a relationship with God. Great news. But there were other people in the area who were trying to corrupt that simple gospel message. And Paul spends a lot of time in this chapter getting to the malware. This, this is So what we have here in Colossians chapter 2 is Christian anti-malware. How is Paul going to help these Colossians deal with the false teaching? How do... How do banks teach bank tellers to recognize counterfeit? Darcy, you work in a bank. How do bank? How do you teach a bank teller? I'm not going to have you come up and give a demonstration. Oh, she doesn't work in the front of the bank. She's she's advanced. She works in the back of the bank. That's where it all happens. Because a lot of our problems today in in, in banking industry are coming with dollar bills, right? They're coming in the computers and things like that, but. Back in the days when most of us carried cash, how does the banker, the bank teller, tell a counterfeit note from a, uh, a real one? They study the real ones. That's all they do. They just study the real ones, study the real ones, study the real ones, study the real ones. And that's what Paul is doing here. He takes the Colossian church back to the basics of the gospel. And he's. He, we've talked about how we've been reconciled, we've been ransomed, all these things. So what does Paul start off with here? He starts off by saying... Where's my dry erase marker? That's not what Paul's doing. I'm so glad I got all of you to help me. That's what God invented women. Men couldn't find a checkbook. I'm a little too happy today. All right, here we go. Paul starts in verse 13. Look at what he says here, folks. He says this, and you. He's addressing every one of us. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So there on the tombstone, just write dead. You are dead in your trespasses, dead in your trespasses. You might even underword the little word my there. I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. That's where God, that's where Christ meets us. There's no one who comes to God who doesn't meet God first in his sin. And Christ comes to the dead. And what does God do? This is very important to look at this. This is why we got this big arrow in the white. The big arrow in the white. Get the point. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. So put here. here's what we do. Put a great big arrow, God. God made, and you can do this. Made alive in Christ. Put made me. If you're born again today, if you have been adopted, you know for a fact your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can say, God made me alive. And if you're not there, know that that invitation is open to you. You can be there today. But God takes dead people in their sins and He makes them alive. How does He do that? Well, what does He say? Remember, he had just got done talking about, in verse 12, how we were, uh, we were buried with Christ, dead in our sins. And now, when we identify with Christ, did Christ stay dead? No, thank you. No, 
Christ didn't stay dead. He was raised. God made us, the Christian, alive with Christ. We are alive in Christ. And that's what He did. He made us alive. Remember this, folks. The life we have, we live now, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. God made us, He made me alive in Christ. Okay? Let's continue on. And we were dead, but we were made alive. How did He do that? Um, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of flesh, God made alive together with Him. And this is important. The last part of verse 13. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Okay? Top line, right above these little hash marks, is the word all. We're going to write the word all there, okay? And then in this line between these several hash marks here, all my trespasses. God has forgiven me all my trespasses. All? When we are alive in Christ, God has forgiven us, forgiven me, all my trespasses. That's good news. All my sins? We're taking this financial peace class, and they asked us at the beginning, oh, it was maybe the second lesson, they asked us to write on a note, we didn't sign it, how, how many credit cards do you have, how much debt do you have, and he asked us one other question, I don't remember what it was, but there was a lot of debt. I mean, he put that number up there and quarter million dollars just for the few folks that are here. And that's not, and that's like outside your home mortgage kind of thing. I mean, it's a lot of money. We, uh, credit card debts and two quarter million dollars for just a few folks, do the math. It's kind of scary. How would you like to have all your debts forgiven? Come on, folks. Come on. Thank you, Warren. Two hands. Some of them are charismatic here. Oh, I want all my debts forgiven. How many of you would like to have all your sins forgiven? All my trespasses forgiven, folks. This is what happens in the gospel. God is willing to forgive us our sins like a banker could forgive debts. Only the banker could do it. He's willing to... So, all my trespasses. Now, it's very important here in verse 14... Pay attention now. It says, how did God do this? Verse 14 explains it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Whoa. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The Greek word here is a very, it's a really neat word because we are used, it's a, it just, there's a word in the English, but then I guess the word how many of you know what an IOU is? What's an IOU? You know what an IOU is? It's that an IOU is simply, I acknowledge you have loaned me IOU. Now, you know what? It could be anything from you owe IOU a candy bar. If you're in you know, junior high and your friend, he says, hey, can I have one of those candy bars? Are you kidding me? Get your own candy bar. Look, I'll pay you back later. I want an IOU, right? And so this is this is that word. So if you connect your hash marks here, okay? Just go like this. Connect your hash marks and write kind of toward the top, I-O-U. I-O-U, and then put your initials. Sign it at the bottom. Just your initials here. I'm going to put J-T. I-O-U. There is a heavenly I-O-U. 
What are, what are the wages of sin? Death. We sin against God? God says, okay, that co- the cost of sin is death. You owe me. Death has to pay for sin. I owe you. We have a heavenly I owe you. That was what it says in verse 14. What God does, and this was interesting as I was studying this week, in the old days, ink wasn't made like it's made today. Our ink today has an acid in it that actually, if you take and you write like you're doing now on your outline with your pencil or your pen, it'll stain the paper and you can't get it out. But ink in the old days was made either out of like papyrus or an animal skin, and they would write on this thing, but it wasn't an acid-based ink. You know what they would do if you were uh, in debt to someone? You had an IOU to that person, you would write it out of this kind of ink on a parchment or whatever. If he canceled your debt, he would simply rinse off the parchment, the ink would dissolve, and the ink would be gone. He would hand you back your IOU, nothing on it. That's kind of nice, right? You should go down to the bank and I have my loan contract here, but the banker says, you know what? Uh, we've got blank paper in this file. There's nothing. We don't have it. We have no record of you owing us any money. So we like that idea. But it's not happening in the financial world, but it can happen with God. And what did God do? Well, let's make this, turn this into a cross, would you folks? Okay. What did, what did he do? Put a great big spike coming out of that thing. Make it heavy, make it dark. You all like to draw pictures, I know, because if you look at... I, I found out when I was in college, you could keep yourself awake by drawing pictures. And if you go... If you do a... Uh, if you teach students and you collect their notes at the end of... They, they doodle the whole way. Draw a big, thick spike on here, folks. Because what does the Bible tell us? It says, this debt, this IOU, God canceled it. We could, You don't have the ability to dry erase, but I could dry erase it. And God nailed it. He nailed it to the cross. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Your IOU was nailed to Jesus' cross. Are you getting this? Is this encouraging? Is this helpful? This is hallelujah. Amazing. That God would take all my sin debt and nail it to Jesus' cross. And not only that, it said, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in Him. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle says this, Who is going to bring a charge to God's elect, to God's children? Who's going to show up and point a finger at one of God's kids and say, Well, He did this or He did that. Well, we all know that the devil is also called the accuser of who? The brethren. That's you and me, folks. And, and, it, and in Romans it says, Who will bring a charge against any of God's elect? It is Christ who justifies. It is God who has said they're forgiven. If the banker says, You don't owe me anything, who is some punk on the street to come up and say, Well, you owe a debt. <laughs> right? Because you can say, You can say what you want. I'm going back to my banker. He said, I'm forgiven. Please, folks, pay your mortgage this week. Don't go home. Yeah, the preacher said it's all forgiven. You can make the difference, right? You're, you're making your. Okay. He says, 
All of this is forgiven. And not only that, he disarmed the rulers, he disarmed the punk of the devil, and all these other, uh, all of his hosts of demons. What, what did the Lord Jesus do? He goes up to the devil, takes away from him his armor of death and the sting of sin, and he's naked. And he has no more armor, no power, no authority. And in those days, when a, a conquering general would come, and he would conquer a kingdom, he would take all their leaders and put them in chains. And they would go back to his city, and they'd have this great, big, huge party parade where they show off the enemy guys. And look what we did. We triumphed. And in come these chained, shackled prisoners of war, the defeated ones. And folks... This is who Jesus defeated. He defeated the devil, all his hoary authorities, and all these demons, and he brought them, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Our Jesus has settled it. The punk of the devil and his gang have been annihilated. You say, but they still kind of like give me grief. Yeah. It's like kind of after World War II was won and victory was declared, there were still pockets of resistance. That's what the devil's doing. But Christ has triumphed over them. Our sins are nailed to the cross. This is the anti-malware Paul's talking about. Then in verse 16, we see this very important point. What's the first word in verse 16? Look down and read it. Therefore. And the question is, why is it? Therefore. Circle it. Therefore, because the gospel message has to do with my being dead and being made alive. The gospel message has to do with a great debt I owe God, that God has forgiven all my trespasses. And you might even circle the word all. I like it. All my trespasses forgiven at the cross. Therefore, let no one do what? Verse 16, pass judgment on you. Let's just put the word judge here. Let no one judge you. Let no one judge you. Like, how would people be tempted to judge you? Well, look what it says. They were tempted to judge people like this. Well, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Interesting. Where do we read about food and drink regulations? Festivals and the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, those of us who are reading through the Bible are really, are we having a good time Sunday school class? And, and we want to encourage you, if you're not coming to Sunday school, but you're still reading through the Daily Walk Bible, that's great. And if you're not, we would encourage you to start reading. Pick it up. Pick it up now. Join us. You're welcome to come to Sunday school. But in the Old Testament, we've read a lot about food and drink and Sabbath and new moons and festivals and all these rules and regulations. There were in Colossae people who would judge the Christians because, oh, you did something on the Sabbath. Oh, you didn't keep the holy day. And Paul is saying, don't let anybody judge you about that stuff because you can stand at the bottom of the cross with your IOU totally gone. That's what he's saying. Don't let people judge you. Or, what does he go on to say? He says, these are just a shadow of the things, but the substance belongs to Christ. Was there purpose in the Old Testament festivals? Yeah, what was the purpose of the Feast of the Tabernacle? What was the purpose of the Day of Atonement? What was the purpose of these feasts? They pointed us to who? Jesus. They pointed us to the cross. But now he says, those were just the pointers. This is the deal. Have you ever shook hands with a shadow? We used to play a game called Shadow Tag. Well, what did you try to do? You try to stomp on your buddy's 
shadow as you're running around the playground or whatever. Shadow tech. But you know what? I could stunt one of my buddies in shadow all day and it never hurts him. It doesn't help me either. Shadows do that. They point, but they can't help or hurt. This is the deal. The real deal. The substance is where? Look in verse um, 17. The substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18. Not only are people in Colossae judging one another because they were or weren't keeping Sabbath and kind of some of these Old Testament rules, or disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. How are they going around disqualifying each other? Look at what it says. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishing it together with its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Let's take this apart. First of all, um, let no one disqualify you insisting on what was the malware? The M-A-W. M-A-L stands for what? Mysticism, asceticism, and legalism. You see it there? You've got mysticism, asceticism, and legalism. Sounds like a lot of isms. What do these words mean? Well, asceticism, we find, is right in the text. Okay, right there in the passage, we read the word asceticism. Let uh, no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Does anyone know what asceticism is? Down here in the middle, it is. It has to do with a severe self-denial. Okay, the the uh, word, the mental picture here is: picture someone on their knees. See my guy on their knees, and they're doing, they're crawling to pay for their sins, and they're doing all these things. They don't allow themselves any indulgences. Uh, they won't. You know, it's like to be happy would be sinful because then you'd be being happy. And after all, the Christian life is so serious. God forbid that you would be happy or having a good time. And the severe asceticism, the severe self-denial. Paul talks about it here. There were some in Colossae who were insisting, oh, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. You've got to really put your you know, nose to the grindstone because it's all about you and what you do. And it's not true. That's not the gospel. And Paul is saying, listen, don't let people disqualify you. Well, you must not be a very good Christian because you don't work at it hard enough. You don't do this. You know, you don't read your Bible often enough and say your prayers fast enough. I don't know. Folks, don't let anyone disqualify you on those things or judge you. Judge you. What were they judging them about? Look what it says here. He says, let no one judge you, pass judgment on you with regressions of food and drink. Okay? In, in speaking of that legalism, drop down to verse 20. Verse 20. Here's an important question. If, if with Christ, and that's a good question, have you with Christ, if you with Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What kind of regulations? Do not what? Handle. Don't touch that. It is unclean. Don't taste that. That is not good for your spirit. 
Do you know that eating shrimp, according to the Bible, is a sin? All right, all you sinners, raise your hand. How many of you like shrimp? There are some people in closet who could get fired up about the fact that they were eating shrimp or whatever else they were eating. Other things. And what did Jesus say? He said, none of those things are going to harm your body. I mean, excuse me, harm your soul. He says, those things go into your body and they come out of your body. Done. Deal. He said, but the things that go into your heart, that'll poison your mind. That'll hurt your soul. you got to be careful of those things. These do not taste, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All of these regulations. What's the question that he asks here? Look in verse 20. He says, if with Christ you die to these things, why? Why is it you are still alive in the world? Do you submit to these regulations? Referring to things, they all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. Do you know that the Pharisees had a problem? Jesus got in their face. He said, you guys are teaching as doctrine. That's what the Bible says. The teachings of God, doctrine. You're teaching as if it were doctrine, the commandments of men. Who made up these rules? They were man-made. And he says, you guys are teaching. Acting like it came from the Word of God. And he says, all this do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Big question mark. Take your pencil and write over the whole thing. Big question mark. Why? Why are you subject to all these rules and regulations if you're dead with Christ? Why are you going back to the old way? You want to live by the law? Really? That's a lot of that's a lot of law. It's <laughs> a lot of law. Folks, most of my Bible, Old Testament. Do you want to live by the law? He says, No, you're in Christ. I don't why would you submit to those things? So we've got asceticism, we've got legalism, and we also want to cover this other one, and that is mysticism, mystics. Mysticism is kind of a I don't want to call it kind of like hokey pokey, uh, weird, lots of visions. We get in touch with God by these means of my feelings. We get in touch with God by these visions of angels. We get in touch with God by He said to me. Well, mystics have a hard time. Mysticism has a hard time with criticism. Okay? Because mysticism is based on experiential feelings. It's not based on the truth. Okay? And it's hard to nail a mystic down because it's hard to tell someone who says, I had a vision from God. Well, how do you argue with that? We serve a risen Savior with an empty tomb. There's facts, folks. We can prove the gospel. But Paul says here, he says here in Colossians chapter 2, he says in verse, uh, let's look down here in verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Okay? This is an angel. Okay? He needs a head, but you put a head on the angel there. Worshipping of angels, going on in detail about visions. Alright, so this guy had a vision. Make a little thought cloud coming down to him. See him here? This guy is, here he is. And he just goes on and on and on about these visions. Oh, it's all about this vision and that vision and this vision and that vision. This guy just can't talk. quit talking about his visions. They go on and on, acting like everybody who wants to be somebody has got to have the same kind of vision they had. It says here, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. You get distracted by angels. You get distracted by visions. You get distracted by all this stuff that you're supposed to experience and feel. And what do you miss out on? What does it say? Not holding fast to the head. 
you get away from the simple gospel because it's all about this vision and that vision and I saw this and hey, let's stick to the truth of the gospel. Let's stick to the head. Let's stick to Christ. Not holding to, I don't know if you can see it over there and that's it. It says on the bottom, not holding to, the bottom left corner is not holding to, and I want you to write it like this. Watch. When you get to the word T, or the letter T, make it big. Like that. Not holding to Christ. Not holding to the cross. Not holding to the fact that God says you're forgiven. Do you believe that? As Christians, don't get caught up in all the other stuff. There are people... Because look at what it says here. Um, It talks about this uh, self-made religion. Um, Let me just check my notes here. Self-made religion. Thank you. <laughs> Referring to all things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. This self-made religion is about what man says. It is not about what God says. And, and the Colossian church was in danger of this virus affecting the church. So Paul comes with this anti-Christian, anti-malware, anti-mysticism, anti-asceticism, anti-legalism, and he's come to make a point that the simplicity is in Christ Jesus, in Christ alone. Now, when he gets done making this point, and as he's making this point, look what he says in verse... Look in verse 19. They're not holding to the head... And look what it says. From whom the whole body grows with a growth that is from God, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. I want to unpack that just a little bit. This really hit me this week. It says here that the whole body, would, would you agree that's, that's the body of Christ, right? And what's neat is when we gather together, beloved, we are kind of a miniature body. We are a body of believers. And we all need each other. Look at what it says. It says, this body grows with a growth. Where's the growth from? Look what it says in verse uh, uh, 19. This body grows with a growth that is from God. Johnny has been um, outgrowing his legs lately. Okay. Johnny has been outgrowing his legs. What happens is he's had such a growth spurt that he's having problems with his knees because his body isn't keeping up with the growth. And it's not like it's a huge problem, but the doctor just said that's the deal. That's why he's got these bumps and his knees hurt. But God wants us as a body of believers to keep growing together. Okay? Because if you're growing, but I'm not growing, you know what? I'm going to actually cause problems for you because you are. If I'm growing and you're not growing, you'll cause problems for me. We need to be growing together. And it's interesting. I really was thinking about this week. It says, and from the whole body grows with a growth that is from God. The godly growth comes from God, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. Hmm. Through its joints and ligaments. What is a joint and a ligament? It is where, where my upper arm connects with my lower arm. There are joints and ligaments. They hold us together. It's where one part of my body meets another part of my body. That's where growth happens. It says through these joints and these ligaments. 
I got to thinking about that. How do we make application? At the place where you and I meet, where you and I come together, places like church and in fellowship outside of church during the week, where we come together, where we meet in our life, my life can touch your life, your life touches mine, that's where we grow. We grow at that joint and the ligaments, holding it all together. And so Paul talks about this this growth and um, he says down here in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion. This is on the other side. On the one side, we've got growth that comes from God. And on the other side, we've got this malicious software, this malicious Christian teaching, which is actually hurting the body. And loved ones, I think it's important for us to think about this. We talked about some Jewish regulations. We talked about, you know, asceticism. But what does that look like now? Would there be, would there be folks who would attach a whole lot of lists of do's and don'ts to the Christian life? Is that, is that possible? Is that possible for us to get a little fired about? You have to always say prayers this way, or you have to use this translation, or you have to look like this, or dress like this, or hair like this, or, you know? We have to be careful in the Christian faith that we don't try to put these kind of things on other people. Or if we think that somehow my ability, my working hard, I'm going to deny myself this and I'm going to deny myself that, that's going to somehow give me favor with God? Is this what washes away the IOU? No. And if I get all fired up about angels and a super spirituality that I'm sorry none of you have had, I kind of set myself apart from what the Christian life, is the Christian life available to everyone? It is. You don't have to see some kind of major revelation. These guys, blah, 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 go on about their visions of angels. And he's like, wait a minute. You're not holding on to Christ. You're not holding on to Jesus. And I think it's important for all of us to understand this. At the end of Colossians chapter 2, God has made me alive in Christ. All my sins are forgiven. All my trespasses. All my trespasses. Yes. When I come to Christ, when I come to faith in Christ... God has made me alive. Don't let people, don't get hung up about what other people think about you. If they want to judge you, you're in Christ. If they want to disqualify you, you probably haven't really got to the deep level of Christianity. Hey, don't let anyone disqualify you or judge you because of what Christ has done. We are in Christ and God wants us holding fast to the head and He wants us growing. How are we supposed to be growing? Well, you do your job. I'll do my job. We'll all focus on growing together this growth that comes from God and where we we meet together, good things are going to happen. Alright? Now, for the last four Sundays, kind of today, we have been laying a foundation. Do you know what? He hasn't even got to how you live life at your house. What's it like at the Wilsons on Tuesday? What's it like at the Durfees on Friday night? You know, how about the Moore family? What's it look like on Monday night? You know what I mean? How do we all live life together? Well, now Paul is going to turn a corner next week. He's going to say, now let's put what we've been learning to action. How does this matter when in the way I treat my wife? How does this uh, show up in the way I treat my kids or my boss? He's going to get real practical. And next week we're going to talk about how all that that we have been learning works for me on Tuesday. It works for you on Thursday and Friday. Got it? I love you all. Glad you're here. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, it is our privilege to hold on to Christ. And we pray, God, that we would hold on to the truth that as Christians, we have been made alive in Christ and you are willing to forgive.
forgive all our trespasses. And God, if we are not saved this morning, we can go to the heavenly banker and have all of our debts canceled today. It's great news. And we thank you for this wonderful news and for the opportunity we have to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say real briefly, um, some of you may have heard about this, some of you may not know about this, but on Thursday night, our son Jonathan was in a, a vehicle accident that rolled a couple times. He was with another young man. He was thrown out, but not seriously injured. Johnny ended up in the back seat with a sore, a little bit of a sore back and some scrapes, but both of those two boys were spared. And I just felt again this week uh, a whole lot of thank you, Jesus, because, you know, on... Um, on Friday, I was talking to insurance companies about whether that vehicle is totaled or not. It was totaled. But you know what? We weren't planning funerals. And I'm just thankful for God's mercy and grace. And I know we're commanded in the scripture to pray for one another. I thank you for praying for me and for my family. I'll keep praying for you. We're going to close the service this morning with a wonderful old hymn that focuses on what... Uh, Pastor Jeff has been talking about this morning. All of this happened at the cross. And our prayer is that Jesus would uh, keep us near the cross. Would you stand and sing it with me this morning as we close? Jesus, keep me near the cross. There are precious fountain Free to all a healing stream Flows from Calvary's mountain In the cross, in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river near the cross O Lamb of God Bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the Keep yourself and keep uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord near the cross. Keep your focus there. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.